This is the Purpose Church podcast where we exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. (laughs) Good to see you guys. (laughs) Hello. Good to see you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Good to see y'all. Sit down. Sit down. Good to see y'all. Y'all are too sweet. Good to see everybody. I'm glad to be back at church. Glad to see your beautiful faces. I sure have missed y'all. You're looking good. You're looking good. Everything around here looks amazing, and you guys are at the top of that list. You guys look great. So glad to be back at church. Before we jump into the message today, I do have a couple of thank yous. Uh, First, I want to thank um, our lead team, um, all of the staff that really took care of all of you and took care of everything uh, while I was gone. If you're here for the first time, um, I've been out for six weeks um, and glad to be back and excited to be in this new series. And I've listened to all of the messages that I missed and it was incredible. And I'm just so grateful to the lead team for everything that they did and, and the way that they cared for you. They're not just task doers. They, they, they love people, and they really do everything they can in their power to take care of people, not just get a job done. And so I'm so thankful to them. Can you thank them with me this morning? And I, I also want to thank our dream team. I want to thank them. If you don't know what the dream team is, it's what we call our volunteers here in And we have a very high value on you engaging in acts of service to affect the life of another person. Um, It's what we call the make a difference factor of uh, our church. And we're very blessed that we have a very high percentage of adults that serve on a regular team. And and that means a lot to us. It means you're really buying in. You realize that your Christianity is not passive that you were created on purpose for a purpose, to do something on purpose. Um, welcome to the Purpose Church. So it's, it's a very big deal around here. I just want to thank our dream team. Thank you for being amazing. Can you thank them with me? So grateful to you. And last but not least at all, I want to thank my wife. I truly could not have been gone. Um, she, she loves hard. She loves well. She'll fight a bear for you. Um, she tells our kids that, by the way. I'll fight a bear for you. Um, and she, she fought a lot of bears while I was gone and took care of you guys and took care of the staff and took care of our home. And we have a side business, and she ran that side business and had people taking care of all of that. And I'm just so grateful to you, honey. Thank you. I love you. you. All right, let's pull it together and get started. Um, (laughs) uh, We're starting a series today called Holy Noticing. Everybody say that with me. Say Holy Holy Noticing. Might sound like a weird title to you, but it's going to make sense here in a minute. I feel very convicted and very called and very challenged to teach you something that has the potential to produce joy, 
purpose, a sense of calm, and it'll lead you toward a path of wholeness. When I look around at people today and I look around at society today, all I see are fractures, divisions, frustrations, and copious amounts of fear. When you, when you drive through parking lots, when you, when, when you see large groups of people together now, everyone's like, oh, no one knows what to do. Everyone's scared of everything. We're scared of things we can see. We're scared of people. We're scared of things we, we can't see. We're, we're waiting on the next ball to drop. We're waiting on the next news cycle. And I think it's, it, it, it stands to reason that when, when Jesus was on the earth, he didn't have any of the methods of the news or social media. He didn't have any of that. And yet he still would leave thousands of people and all the hustle and bustle of the cities he was in to withdraw to the woods, to withdraw and to meditate and to pray. And he didn't have near the influences on his emotional self that you and I do. How much more should you and I be attuned to our brain and our body's responses to the traumatic events that are happening around us now and be attuned to the emotional devastation and the spiritual degradation that it has caused. Are you tracking with me? We need some holy noticing. We need to begin to notice things about ourselves. Most of us spend our distracted lives longing to get to the next better moment, longing to, 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 to get to the next thing that we fail to notice the present one that we're in. We lack space between one task and the next task and one thought and the next thought, one email and the next email. And can I tell you, if you've been gone for six weeks, there's lots of emails Social media, television, work deadlines, all of that, etc., steals our joy and it steals our engagement in present moments. I'm convinced that as followers of Jesus, we either become, we will either become mindful or mindless. And that's the title of today's message, Mindfulness versus Mindlessness. I have never been more aware of mine or other people's mindlessness than I ever have over the past few weeks. For most, screen time is up, Netflix is binged, and our minds have been thoroughly washed with the rotten sewage we call a newsfeed. We're like humans on that cartoon movie, Wally. Has anyone ever seen that? I think I have an image for you. If you've not seen this movie, humans are escaping a devastated world. They end up becoming creatures of screens, slurping on their slurpees, becoming more and more physically unhealthy, emotionally distant, and afraid to leave the chair. 
the people that are scooting around on their chairs and slipping their slurpees, uh, slurpees and with a screen in front of their face. Now, to be fair, maybe it's not that bad. But I don't think we're far off. Why? Because it's easier. It's easier to sit there and let somebody else tell you what you should think, believe, and do. It's mindless. That's why watching television scientifically does nothing for your rest. You actually, have you ever watched TV and felt more tired afterwards? Especially if I'm watching something like 24 and Jack Bauer's killing all the terrorists. And at the end, I'm like, oh my God, he bit his ear off. You know, it's like you're, you're more ramped up after. It's not restful. It's restless. It's not mindful, it's mindless. To live mindlessly is to live at the mercy of your thoughts and emotions. This is often the place where both the future and the past are at war. Look at what Charles Stone says. When we live mindlessly, we are often or likely either rehashing and replaying difficulties from the past that we can't change, or we are ruminating and rehearsing problems that are out of our control that could occur in the future. Mindlessness. Have you ever been stuck there? Have you ever been stuck in the place where you are so freaked out about the, the future and you're so upset about the past that you're totally stuck, not knowing what to do in the present? Some of you have felt this very strongly in your life recently. Before we move on, I just wanted to pray a prayer over you. Would you put your hand over your heart? Lord, for every person here today within the sound of my voice, those that are with me in the room, those that are watching online, those that might be listening to this podcast later on in the week, whatever they're doing right now, however they're listening right now or watching right now, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be at ease, that we would be able to non-judgmentally and objectively look at our lives today and allow the Holy Spirit to make a change in us. In Jesus' name, if you receive it, say big, loud, amen. amen. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 8 in the Passion Translation is our focus verse today. Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Paul said it before Bob Marley did. <laughs> be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail about your life. Then... God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real and honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. Does that sound like cable news to you? And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him 
always. Isaiah 41.10 says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not look anxiously about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you and surely I will help you. When I read these two verses, I've been thinking about them a lot over the last six weeks. And in fact, to be honest with you, I have not read any other parts of the Bible the last six weeks except those verses I just read to you. For six weeks, I have been reading those same verses and journaling about those same verses. I have notebooks full of thoughts and notes just about this stuff. And it's really gotten uh, into my heart and my mind in a great way to show me that I've been looking anxiously about me. I've, I've been wandering around in the dark trying to find a way out of the dark room of, uh, uh, that we create with, with all of the, the external factors that we call truth and everyone's own truth and all of that. And, and it creates this lifestyle of, oh my God. Creates this hurried, anxious, freaked out lifestyle, none of which God intended us to live. He tells us, don't be pulled in different directions. And then he says, don't look anxiously about you. How many of you felt pulled in different directions lately? How many of you have looked anxiously about you lately? How, how, many, how many of us have had divided attentions? Divided attentions. It's mindlessness. When we give way to every thought and every emotion that comes our way and we entertain it and allow it to grow and we foster it, we're divided. We have to learn how to be mindful. So who or what is receiving your attention? Who or what is receiving your attention? And I've really only got one point for today and here it is. I'll give it to you at the beginning of the message. What you focus on grows. What you focus on grows. It's a very biblical thing. And we're going to talk about in this series, we're going to talk about meditation and mindfulness and all these different kinds of things. See, it was God's idea before secular, the secular world took over mindfulness, before the secular world took over meditation. It was God's idea first. And I might be getting ahead of myself. I don't remember if I wrote this down or not, but I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is very good at inspiration and celebration. I mean, even here at our church, we, we just clap like crazy people before the songs even start. And the new people are like, what the crap did I just walk into? Is this a cult? No, we just like Jesus a lot. And then we celebrate, and it's inspirational. Church is great at that. You can go, you can pick any church in San Antonio. We all do the same thing. It's celebration and inspiration. Because you don't really get a lot of that in your life outside of here. So we try to celebrate, inspire, but the church is very weak at mindfulness and meditation. 
And I believe that because of that gap, it will lead to emotional and spiritual devastation. We've got to fix that. We can't just live lives of celebration and inspiration all the time. Doesn't that get tiring? Trying to pump yourself up all the time. Trying to look in the mirror and go, you love Jesus, why are you feeling this way? You guilt trip yourself because you're feeling emotions that, guess what, God created. I was taught as a kid that being angry was a sin. That you weren't allowed to be angry. But then I read parts of the Bible where Jesus would literally take furniture and throw it up against the wall and scream at people with whips in his hand. And I was like, either he's spanking a child or he didn't like the furniture. It was never explained to me. But then the Bible would also say, be angry and do not sin. So can I be? No! So in Christianity, we have created these chasms where you're only allowed to feel happiness and joy. But if you feel sadness, something's wrong with you, you need to pray harder. If you're depressed, how dare you? Jesus died for you. Why are you feeling that way? What's wrong with you? Shame on you. You're feeling angry, then that's a gap between you and the Father because he's the Prince of Peace. Do you hear how that's been preached for so long? So then you go over here and you make yourself happy. And you're sitting in the seats and you're listening to sermons and you're preaching and you're singing and you're you're clapping. You're doing one thing, feeling another. So you leave here feeling like a hypocrite, wondering if all of this is even real. Am I talking to anybody today? I'm kind of tired of that Christianity. I'm kind of tired of that fake it till you make it kind of churchianity. I want to start living the kind of life that Jesus lived where he was intentional, mindful, meditative, inspirational, celebrative. I mean, he was all of it and he did it with balance and he did it with intentionality. So maybe we could learn some things to do on purpose that will help us be mindful people. Our attention and focus can only be put into three places. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's not on the screen, but we have past, present, future, right? There's nothing else. Past, present, future. Our past is where depression lives. Past creates pain. It's where the shoulds live. That's when you should all over yourself. It's where all the shoulds live. I'm back. (laughs) You're like, he almost cussed and he just got here. The future is where anxiety lives. So the past is where depression lives. The future is where anxiety lives. And instead of dealing with the traumatic events that are causing you to live in one or the other, we medicate them both and get stuck in the present unable to deal with the past and unable to settle our need to fix the future and live in the moment, we just get stuck. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, we get 
stuck. The future forges fear. The past forges depression. But in the present is the only place we can find peace in this present moment. Now, since we're Christians, we've got an assurity of our salvation and eternity with God. But have you ever heard the saying that you can be so heavenly minded you're no, you're no earthly good? I don't totally believe, it that, believe that statement, but here's what is a little bit true about it. We can sing songs like I used to sing growing up, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, or I'll fly away, oh glory, just get me the heck out of here. Can I die and go away? We're singing songs like Onward Christian Soldiers and singing I'll Fly Away at the same time. The schizophrenic Christianity has to stop. What are we going to do about right now, though? Because you're sitting in these seats with a life you don't really like all the time, wondering if all the things you're doing as a Christian are actually going to affect the now. And serving Jesus doesn't mean you're going to be happy all the time. Was Jesus happy all the time? No, absolutely not. Did he live in the past? No. Did he talk about the future? Absolutely. But was he stuck there and unable to deal with the now? No. no. He met people at the point of their need in the present right in that moment. How can we live in that moment? In the present is where we can start to find some peace. Physiologically, living in the present calms the central nervous system. And I didn't, I, I wasn't a science major or anything like that, but I need to share with you some things that I've learned that are really going to help you. And you're going to learn some weird words today. Try to write them down, Google them later. Learn more about it yourself. But physiologically, when we calm the central nervous system, it deactivates the amygdala and fires your prefrontal cortex. Have you ever heard the term, she flipped her lid? He flipped his lid. You ever heard that term? Here's why. Here's your prefrontal cortex. Here's the amygdala. This is your brain. This is your brain stem. When you're no longer using your prefrontal cortex is when the fight, flight, or freeze stuff comes in. Your amygdala fires saying, get the crap out of there. Get out of there. So you stop using your prefrontal cortex where you logically think through problems and you flip your lid. You're living life in a total stress response, unable to consciously think through problems and you wonder why your life looks like hell. Because we haven't even learned about the greatest creation God ever made. Do you know what that is? Our bodies. God's greatest act of creation was humanity. And we don't know anything about it, even to the point where we medicate it and stimulate it and caffeinate it, and then we wonder why our lives suck. We're not taking care of ourselves even on a knowledge level. We don't even know much about our bodies, but I believe, can I just make this statement that if you learn more about you and how you're wired and how God literally physically wired you, it would give you a greater sense of awe and appreciation for the God who did. And you'd really begin to take care of yourself more instead of medicating and caffeinating yourself and rebuking the devil, you can stop doing the things that we're blaming the devil for. It wasn't him. It was us. 
We're gonna learn some things today about our brain for a minute, okay? This is gonna all make sense. I'm gonna tie it back together in the end. I gotta hurry. Um, The prefrontal cortex is responsible for empathy, insight, response flexibility. It allows for pause and space between the impulse and the action. It allows you to think through problems. It's where emotional regulation lives, body regulation, attunement, fear modulation. It's where that lives. Then there's the hippocampus. It's part of the limbic system responsible for processing long-term memory and emotional responses. It's like the DVR of the brain. It records important emotional events and literally timestamps them in your brain and puts them in a file in your brain. Isn't that crazy? It's very detailed memory of events. When things get too emotional and too chaotic and too overwhelming, the prefrontal cortex bows out, the hippocampus bows out, and the amygdala is fired. It's the part of our limbic system that processes fearful and threatening stimulus, and it includes detection of threats and activation of appropriate fear-related behavior. Like this hyper-vigilant, Things are out to get me. I got, I got to get them before I get got. It's that I got to get out of here. It's that response of like an animal being backed into a corner. It's, that's what the amygdala is in charge of. It makes you feel that right now feeling, that go time feeling. I've got I've to do it. Put out the fire. You're in danger. The amygdala assesses the threat and sends a message to the brain to activate a fight, flight, or freeze response. In summary, the prefrontal cortex is impulse control, decision-making, logical thought. The limbic system keeps you alive, makes you want to feel good. It, it dislikes pain. Most of us live in the limbic system because of the degradation of the emotional state of America. Most of us live in the limbic system because of the things we are ingesting second by second. The worry of the past and the anxiety of the future and the disgust with our present are all activating to the parts of our brain that tell us we're in trouble. We constantly live as if we're in trouble. Logical thought goes out the window when we're living every day with our adrenal glands pumping powerful chemicals into our bloodstream. Cortisol is the name of the game. Adrenaline is the name of the game. It's only there to keep you safe. It's those chemicals that exist when you got to lift the car off somebody. They're not there to be in your bloodstream all the time. But we live that way. God only intended for those chemicals to be powerful to keep us alive in the rarest of circumstances. So instead of addressing what would truly help We medicate ourselves with addictions of all kinds, social media included. Now I'm going to meddle. God created our brains, and if we can understand it better, we can truly find some peace in our lives. Do you believe that? But we over-spiritualize, and we spiritually bypass problems, and we try to pray away the pain when the roots of our issues are often found in our daily unhealthy habits. We are often spiritually motivated, which is great. Remember, inspiration. It's great. You need to have that. 
but we are mindless in our approach to the problem. So let's talk about mindfulness. Mindfulness. Mindfulness is the beautiful ability to be in the present, completely aware of the moment you're in, and in that, free from the tyranny of what wasn't and what could be. You're right here, right now. It helps us notice what's actually important. In a mindful space, we're dealing with things that actually are, things that would have, we would have missed or avoided otherwise, things like the joy of being with family, real communication and genuine connection with others. We, we're in those moments. Mindfulness frees us in so many ways as we are able to notice what is happening in and around us in that present moment, and it frees us from being slaves to reaction and judgment. But there's a fine line between mindfulness and mindlessness. Scientifically, it's the space between stimulus and response. That space right there. It's the window that we have to make a choice. Will we choose to give in to the loudest emotion and the loudest circumstance or the potential outcomes? Or will we slow down instead and become mindful and present in that moment. Doesn't sound very complicated, does it? If we're computers, it wouldn't be. If we were robots, it wouldn't be. But we have emotions. And the stimulus is often overwhelming. Because we don't have the tools to deal with the stimulus, we make bad choices in that window. And our response is detrimental to our lives. Are y'all tracking with me still? Most of us live, a couple of Greek words for you, in the chronos. It's where we get the word chronological. It's just time. It's quantity. The Bible, you, we can only translate the word time as time in English, but Greek has two different words for it, chronos and kairos. Kairos is the quality of the time. Chronos is the quantity of the time. And most of us live in that quantity. What can I fit into all of my time? We're not thinking about the quality of the time. It's evidenced by when you see people out on dates at a restaurant and they're both on their phone. Now I know it's kind of hard now because we, get, we have to scan those stupid barcodes instead of get real menus. So now everybody gets to like look through their menu and then scroll and you think you're looking through the menu. But before all this nonsense, it was, man, that dude's on his phone a lot. She's trying to talk to him and he's like totally on ESPN app right now. You know, it's, it's, it's just something like there's a disconnect in culture. You've all seen it. You've all done it. We've all been there. Again, I want to say to you again, what you focus on grows. Are we going to focus on the quality? Are we going to focus on the present moment? Or are we going to worry about the future and obsess over the past and therefore forfeit the present, thus forfeiting our peace? Our brains are built that way and our spirits respond that way. So as we get ready to wrap up today, where do we go from here though? If you're still tracking with me and you're with me, thank you for that. But where do we go from here? What do, we, what do we do now? 
How do we become more mindful? Number one, if you're taking notes, slow down. Slow down. I put this one first because I hate it the most. I don't like to be slow. I don't drive slow. I don't walk slow. There's things to go. There's people to see. There's things to do. I mean, go big or go home. Take the bull by the horns. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We got stuff to do. Don't slow down. Like that's, that's the American way. And slowing down actually looks like weakness in our culture. In other cultures around the world, a fast-paced life is weakness. But in America, fast-paced and making it to the top and ignoring emotional factors and triggers, like that's the name of the game. Go faster, do more. Here's the word that you've seen. It's even on T-shirts. Hustle. 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 The only time I ever heard that word is when I played sports. But now it's on T-shirts. Hustle, do more, get a side hustle, get another side hustle, 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 hustle. Social media is full of influencers, entrepreneurs and gurus touting the virtues of hustling at all costs. The antidote to always hustling is slowness. We have a small group called the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And that book is incredible. If you're looking for a small group, that small group is a good one to jump into. They're all great, but that one, that book changed my life. It's, it's an important thing to learn, slowness. It sounds crazy, but slowing down is actually the difference between success or failure, between thriving and burning out. So I want you to begin to non-judgmentally Evaluate your day. Non-judgmentally evaluate your day. So here's a couple of things that'll help you, all right? When you're non-judgmentally evaluating your day, do it, delegate it, or delete it. Do, delegate, or delete. Everyone in this room has something you can go home and do right now that only you can do. Everybody in this room's got something in your life that you could delegate to someone else and every one of us have something, some things that we need to delete off our life list. Something we need to delete off our daily list. You need to determine your priorities based on the values of biblical truth. Not the values of culture or the values of America. And I'm as patriotic as they come. But when it comes to a Christian lifestyle, American lifestyle is antithetical to that of a Christian lifestyle. And you and I have got to do something about it. Or we're going to get sucked in. Here's what you're going to receive if you slow down. You'll receive greater clarity. Has anybody felt confused recently about what you need to do or a big decision you're trying to think through? You'll receive greater clarity because what's the point of hustling if you're going in the wrong direction? So you'll receive greater clarity. You'll harness the power of emotion. Successful people manage their emotions and they don't let them trigger behavior. You and I can learn how to manage and assess emotion without it triggering, triggering subsequent behavior. We can do that. I'm not that good at it yet. But we can get there together. We can get there. 
There's a mantra that sums this up well. If you can name it, you can tame it. You gotta be able to know what that emotion is you're feeling so you can handle it the right way. You gotta name it. You'll make better decisions. When you slow down and make time for rest and meditation, you'll lower your baseline for mental stress. When your mind isn't racing, it's free to absorb new information, assess the circumstance, Keep the prefrontal cortex online so you can make a good decision. So what can you do this week to start slowing down? In the mornings when we get the kids ready for school, sometimes it can be nuts and sometimes it's easy. It's a roll of the dice every day. But it's does my family no good if I've stayed up so stinking late and watched a bunch of blue light from my phone into my eyeballs to activate my brain before I'm supposed to go to sleep, that I wake up cranky and aggravated, and then I just caffeinate the aggravation, then I just yell at my kids. And we create this frustrating, aggravating life around us, and then we blame other people for it. When it's just our behavior, And judging by your silence, you see exactly what I'm talking about. You and I have a problem. We have a problem. And it's with your phone. Number two, set boundaries with this stupid computer in your pocket. You know how many times I've just wanted to go back to a razor because I could T9 myself through life. And if you don't know what T9 is, I feel really old right now. (laughs) I got some stats for you. I'm not saying any of this to judge anybody. These stats were right up in my face too. Non-judgmentally, I'm gonna go through this list. We're gonna look at it together. I'm going to prove to you that you have become addicted to something that is just as dangerous as alcohol or drugs. Did you know that your brain doesn't even know the difference? Your bloodstream does. The physical degradation is a a fact. You know, methamphetamine is a whole lot worse than Facebook to your body. But your brain doesn't know the difference. Here's some stats for you. On average, people will spend five years and four months on, of their lifetimes on social media. Five years and four months of your life on social media. My youngest child just turned six. His whole lifetime. I've been scrolling through the newsreel of other people's highlights, comparing myself to them, hating myself, lost six years of my life. On average, that means some people have more five years on social media. On average, smartphone users unlock their phone 150 times a day. Face ID makes that even easier. You just smile at it and the rectangle opens. It's a very expensive, pretty rectangle. Now, We even have three little cameras on the back to make our fake lives look better. How many times have you just been sitting there and you just, and you're just like staring at all the boxes? 
You just scroll through all the stupid boxes. Then you put it back in your phone. And then you have that, you ever felt like your phone vibrated in your pocket, but it didn't? We have a problem. 12% of adults admit to using their phones in the shower. Because now phones are waterproof. 12% of adults can't even wash their butt without being on their phone. You gotta be kidding me. Killing me, Smalls, you're killing me. 86% of adults admit to checking their phones while in a conversation with another person. If I'm sitting here talking to Jeff, I'm like, Jeff, how was your day, man? Man, good to see you. Did Penn State win? I was rooting for him, though, bro. The Longhorns won 58 to 0. I'm just saying, baby, just saying. It's, I, I've been in conversations with people where I'm literally in a moment with them and their phone beeps and they're like, uh-huh. Yeah, oh, that's terrible. All I told you was the Cowboys won. Oh, man, are you okay? I'm like, what is wrong with you? Are you even listening to me? We, we've all been in those conversations. 69% of smartphone users check their phone within the first five minutes of waking up. Y'all didn't laugh at that one, because you do it. You all do it. We spend an average of 144 minutes a day on social media. 144 minutes per day. In 2012, it was 60 minutes a day. Smartphone use and depression are 100% scientifically proven to be correlated. But let's just give you more Zoloft. Keep your phone habits the same. We'll just medicate the stuff. I've been in that place before where I've tried to medicate all of my stuff and not deal with the issue. You been there? If you need medication, get it. Get a real doctor that gives you a real diagnosis. Don't WebMD anything or take some stupid online test for a diagnosis. Go to a real doctor to get real medication for a real issue if you have it. My hunch is that a lot of us don't because we are addicted to the greatest drug to ever hit the United States. Thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. There was a 39% increase in the number of hours people spent on their smartphones in 2020. Well, that's a no-duh. We were all at home. We were stuck at home with people we don't like. So when we look at other people who we wish we were, and we got more depressed, suicide rates during COVID have skyrocketed. Last year, five seniors at Steele High School committed suicide, just at Steele, the school that my kids will go to. Skyrocketed. The average time spent on smartphones per day is two hours and 51 minutes. That's everything included, texting, social, oh, two hours and 51, three hours a day looking at the tiny rectangle. 66% of the population shows signs of nomophobia, which is a l- real fear phobia now that counselors are treating. It's the fear of being without your phone. 
people have a real anxiety of like, I need my phone, I need my phone, I need my phone. I'm going to encourage you to do this. Set up no phone zones in your home. I have some suggestions. The bedroom, let your phone charge somewhere else. We'll get into all the things later on about what actually the phone being in the room with you does to your sleep cycles. It's fascinating. The table, do not have your phone on you when you're having dinner with your family. What if someone needs me? They don't. You're not that important. Nobody needs to find you that fast. (laughs) Calm down. And then turn off all notifications. I don't, nothing buzzes my phone unless I ask my phone to buzz me. I don't need this tiny rectangle controlling all of my impulses all day long. And I've seen some of your phones because I've been in conversation with you. I've had coffee with you and your phone's sitting on the table at Starbucks and it's like, so-and-so liked this picture. So-and-so friend requested you. Then you get a text and you get a phone call. Then you get an email. And I'm sitting there like having a panic attack by watching your phone. You don't need any of that. Any of it. Set up no phone zones. I'm not telling you to get rid of your phone. I'm not telling you to get off social media. I'm asking you to be mindful. And the last one, breathe. Most of us take very shallow breaths all day long. And we don't activate the calming response to our central nervous system. For many of us, relaxation means zoning out in front of the TV at the end of a stressful day. But relaxation response is is a physical state of deep rest. Intentional breathing for just 20 minutes a day. Breathing in through the nostrils and out through the mouth calms down the central nervous system and activates the parasympathetic nervous system and tells your body that you're not in trouble. There's a technique of breathing that I wanna show you real quick. It's called box breathing. The Navy SEALs use it to keep themselves calm in combat. Breathe for four seconds through the nostrils, hold it for four seconds, release it for four seconds, sit in the emptiness for four seconds. And you do that until your body calms down. But most of us are running around with a hair trigger, wondering why everyone around us is upset, wondering why we're bleeding. We gotta learn how to take care of what God made. The very last thing is scripture told us, talk to God about everything, everything. Every last thing, remember what it said? Be anxious for nothing but in, say it out loud, everything. Let your request be made known to God in everything. So close your eyes. What are you focused on right now? Just close your eyes and just kind of sit here, sit here in this moment with me. What are you, what are you focused on right now? What are you feeling right now in this moment? Are you feeling your phone buzz in your pocket? Are you feeling the urge to check it? Just sit in this moment and let's bring that moment to God. Breathe in through your nose, out through the mouth. 
just sit here for a minute. What, what is your life focused on right now? And let's bring that to God completely. And let's begin a process of holy noticing. A life with Jesus is the most authentic and real life you could ever have. And he cares about everything you care about. Whatever's bothering you today, let's bring it to God. Let's bring it to Jesus. And maybe some of you today, you've not made Jesus your Lord and Savior. Today you have that chance. And maybe some of you need to come back to God, come back to Jesus and begin a new journey of purpose with him and allow him to take you to places you've never been in your life, emotionally, spiritually, everything in between. To find calm in your thoughts and emotions, you need to find the one who created you. So I'm gonna pray right now. I'm gonna ask everybody to pray with me before we end today. Everyone say, Lord Jesus, I give you my mind, I give you my emotions, I give you my life. Come into my heart and make me clean. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for going my own way. I wanna learn more about you. I wanna receive you as my Lord and Savior. And today I make that choice. Your word tells me that I'm made brand new when I make you my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving me. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's thank God for what he's done today. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God uses this message to impact your life, Tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.